Welcome to Kiss and Tell, where we discuss modern media and culture and how we fundamentally believe the world of advertising and media is shifting based on technology, digital, social, and user behavior. So join me and my guests and what that means, why it matters, and what we should be doing now. I'm your host, Blake Marquis. Hey, welcome to Kiss and Tell. I am Blake. I'm here with Todd Lombardo. What's happening? And Kylie Wu. Hi. How are you guys doing? It's 5 p.m. It's 5 p.m. That's right. It's end of the day. Feeling kind of weird, feeling kind of good. Lots of meetings. <laughs> yeah. Lots of coffee. Yes. Well, you guys, you guys look and sound great. So thank you for being here today. I know we had a big weekend with the Emmys. Something we love following is uh, yes. where, where Netflix, Hulu, and all these brands where they fall into uh, linear TV. I can't, I can't even. <laughs> it, is, it is beyond crazy that of all the companies that were to take home the best original, it was Hulu. I mean, Netflix and Amazon, I mean, they must have been sitting there being like, how the F is yeah. this happening? Because Hulu for a long time had lost their way. Yes. And suddenly, boom, Handmaid's Tale. And the thing is, is Netflix actually still took home 20 Emmys mm-hmm. that weekend, that, that night. And Hulu took home 10, but Hulu took home the big one. Yeah, they've never won the big one, right? I think I saw something that yeah. Netflix has been nominated now for almost 300 nominations over the years since they first started in a bunch of different categories. Yeah. But they've never won a major, major. award. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. It is crazy. And and poor Stranger Things, um, they got some creative arts Emmys, I think, hmm. but they didn't get any of the major categories. No. I don't, I don't think, I mean, it was a viral hit. I don't think it necessarily deserved anything major. I mean, oh, really? if you look at the categories, yeah. I just... It was a sensation. I just don't think it was. It wasn't meant to be an outstanding drama, right? I don't know. There's a lot of passionate people who love it. Maybe. Uh, All right. I I don't know. Well, you know, so um, on our Medium account, we published an article today. And the gist of it is, is I went back and I looked at the 1987 um, Best Original Drama nominees versus 2017. And so I don't know if you guys... Kylie won't know any of these. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe. So the 1987 Emmy nominees for a standing drama were L.A. Law, Murder, She Wrote, Moonlighting, Saint Elsewhere, and Cagney and Lacey. So Kylie, of those five, how many do you recognize? I've heard of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Is it a scary movie? No. <laughs> okay. Andrew <laughs> Lansbury, no. It, oh my God. Uh, Andrew Lansbury, I remember it just like, she was so old. Like, yeah, I remember being old so then. Young. Yeah, she, I think, <laughs> she's still alive. She, I, think, I, I think so, we should do the Google. No, but so LA Law won, by the way. Um, and you look at the nominees for 2017, and it was Handmaid's Tale, Better Call Saul, House of Cards, Stranger Things, The Crown, This Is Us, and Westworld. So uh, seven nominees this year. And what is really fascinating about it is if you look back to 1987, there's basically three categories. It's like medicine, law, and like cops slash investigation, which are really great models for having a different conflict every week, reaching a really broad audience. And then you go to 2017 and the nominees are like, dystopian women's future and like alternative 1980s universe and like a British, you know, time, time capsule drama piece and, and a, and a dystopian sort of future robotic vacation destination and like all these crazy shows. And it's like, I started sitting there thinking like, 
why are they so weird now versus so straightforward back then? And it's not that there weren't offbeat shows then. Like Tracy Ullman show came out that around that time period. Max Headroom was a really um, interesting show that came out that year, which was like a sort of a robot cartoon character. And I uh, started trying to figure out why is that? And, and one of the hypotheses we have in this article is all about how programming these days um, is all about finding new subscribers, not having broad reach. And so, um, NBC with This Is Us, they needed broad reach and they got an Emmy nom for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, so you're, you're saying by having more obscure shows but having a wider net of them is it more attracting more Well, the more hypo- my hypothesis here is Netflix and, and other streaming services that depend on subscribers um, and even HBO, which has a streaming and a cable subscriber business, they need subscribers and so they constantly need to figure out what show will bring in new subscribers? What audience segment haven't we gotten yet that we could potentially attract? Mm. Right. So over the past year, if you look at um, Netflix nominees, the House of Cards for the political junkie and the people who love House of Cards, Stranger Things for the horror, Crown for British drama, that's a very big deal. And I think one of their most expensive shows, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just such a different, fascinating yeah. way of thinking about programming. And this is, people are like, oh, Netflix ratings don't matter to them. And it's like, it's sort of true. Um, right, and that's something yeah. that's something we talked about briefly uh, a few episodes ago. Is where is, is House of Cards even matter anymore? I don't know because like the users already there. The users there, but okay. So so there's two components: bring in new subscribers and do not lose existing subscribers. So are is there some sort of analysis where they say, okay, as long as we keep House of Cards keep going, it'll keep that subscriber base that loves House of Cards paying every month. And so there's sort of just that dual model of keep existing, grow new. And how do you do that? Which is why I think now as Netflix goes international, they're, they're like, we're going to do local shows in this country and local shows yeah. in that country because they want to keep those local audiences growing. You know what's interesting about that is if you, if you look at Facebook, for example. Yeah. So in brands that keep trying to pile more and more and more into a product, it actually, it actually cheapens it. You know, what do you mean power more? There's just more options and it becomes oh, less focused. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, what, what is this thing actually becoming? Yeah. Where... I feel like, you know, for content and Netflix, that that's actually like the complete opposite. So yeah. you could have a bunch of content on there and it, it will appeal to somebody. Yeah. I don't think anybody really knows. And if, um, like, I think Netflix is, Netflix is betting on original premium content. Amazon is, Hulu is. Um, but even if you look at regular TV, like NFL ratings, Last year, they were like, oh, the presidential election made our ratings go down. This year, they're like, well, last week it was the hurricane, but apparently this past week, the ratings were down again. And for, it's fo- like, for football. For football, NFL, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, so what's happening? And I don't think it's cord cutting necessarily. There was a fascinating piece in the Wall Street Journal where there was some research about like, what are the reasons? And they were like, too many ads and too many penalties and too long games and all this kind of stuff. And cord cutting was like way down. I, I, I would say it's cord cutting. That's like... There's been a couple, I haven't, I was actually thinking about this coming into the podcast yeah. today because I have always been a cord cutter, Yeah. but I didn't ever cut it for streaming services, let's say, right? Like Netflix, I didn't have a TV even before Netflix existed really, you know? So I never had cable. I relied okay. on like DVDs and things like that. Yeah. And football for me, there was a couple years where, you know, living here in LA, like I'd always go to a bar if I had to watch football. And, but also at the same time too, it's like the game started at 10 o'clock. So I would just not go. <laughs> so I feel like yeah, I, yeah. I would say cord cutting is probably one of the biggest things because you're missing your local games at yeah. that point. Right. Yeah. 
there's a missing locality, I think. Same with like local news and that kind of thing. I mean, I guess you can get um, a, um, an antenna, one of those digital antennas. <laughs> but then you have to have a TV. Oh, you you don't even have a TV. I don't have saying. a TV. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. A, I, I still have cable, so... Well, this is so funny that the millennial in the room still has cable. I know. It's just... I, I, I use it more for white noise, though, if anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a sports fan, per se. I think we cover that some other time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't watch football or anything like that, which I think a lot of people still have cable for. Yeah. For me, it's almost more convenience yeah. that I can just flip through and watch stuff. I'm, I'm a E fan oh you are guilty pleasure kardashians what's up (laughs) um so i have that stuff running all the time in my apartment it's just kind of convenience but i also do have netflix i have hbo so i kind of have it all me and my roommate just haven't really made the move to be a cord cutter quite yet well i don't i don't think anyone really knows the answer and i think that if i were a tv company or a broadcaster or even netflix i'd be trying to figure out like sort of one or two of three of the following paths. Like path one is large scale hits for linear TV. Path number two is is focused hits for like niche audiences that can attract new subscribers if you have an OTT or an app or some kind. And then the third piece is like, what is a short form strategy for like a Facebook watch or for YouTube? How does that play a role? And you know, Kylie and I were talking earlier today about the role of social platforms and if you're trying to create original content like videos or TV shows, is social the destination or is social the marketing tool to drive to the destination? How do you balance that? Because you might get more views on a Facebook, but if you monetize and you have to share those dollars, most likely. Whereas there was, there was, I think they were going for like, I think Facebook Watch was going for like 45 percent of that yeah thing, right? the normal is 45 55 with 55 going to the creator that's what youtube is too and that seems to be right now the standard operating procedure um although when we watched facebook watch we didn't see any ads yet a couple of weeks ago no. so and I've, been, I've been following it pretty closely you have yeah what have you been watching well i watched i watched a lot of the stuff you mentioned and then i i dove really deep into uh humans of new york oh and i for people out there who don't know, I teach one day a week. Um, Where I do teach, you teach? Uh, Otis, oh, which nice. is an art school out here. And um, we we dove into the marketing aspect of Humans of New York. And everyone in the class essentially followed Humans of New York on Instagram and on Facebook. Nobody in the class, this is two weeks from the release date of Facebook Watch, knew about it. And they hadn't seen any advertising for it from someone that they followed. Really? It was remarkable. I was thinking for one of the flagship shows from Facebook, mm-hmm. they couldn't even market it to the people who, who were followed, already a followed. fan. Yeah. Wait, so even on like the Instagram feed of Humans of New York, there wasn't... They took over, yeah. So he he made like a whole like nine panel mosaic, like showcasing like trailers of the episodes, okay. uh, talking about the release date. No one had seen it. There was a link in the bio and that was it. And you're just like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Okay. So right. I'm, I'm curious to see how even Facebook markets its own shows to existing audiences. Like yeah. they, they haven't, haven't even got much. that yet. So I don't mm-hmm. think they're really committing to this. Mm-hmm. And then I or think, they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. I mean, how could you launch such a huge product and not, not figure that out for, especially for a brand that is so well equipped to figure out monetizing I its platform? I think because everything's always in beta now. <laughs> I think it's just like, get it out there and get it live. Maybe. Could be, but I think that's detrimental because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, our first take on it was this thing is a mess. Yeah. There's too much content. It's not searchable. Yeah. It just, it was like, 
you have one you kind of have one shot to launch a product oh yeah but i I, I think i think it's gonna turn out okay i think, I think facebook's I mean, too big be around to, long enough to i think buy. facebook's too big like um if you're a standalone product you might only have one shot but i think facebook they might stick it out i think actually what's interesting and I always find a way to bring Snapchat into my <laughs> conversations here, but actually it made me think what's interesting. It's, it's different, but I think it was actually pretty strategic for when Snapchat launched discover, they, they launched it with like eight or however many specific publisher partners and it was not overwhelming. And you kind of knew that they had kind of like a key publisher in different verticals that various yeah. users might be interested in. And so you're like, okay, cool. If I'm in sports, I'm going to go look at ESPN's channel. If I want news, I'm going to look at CNN, whatever it was, Buzzfeed. And they kind of had these core partners that they really built up to help launch their discover platform. Whereas with Facebook, it's kind of been a free for all. And there's so many different brands that have access to uploading content onto Facebook watch. And there's yeah. been no emphasis on any one brand. I don't know if it's because from a business perspective, relationships perspective, Facebook doesn't want to overtly favor one person over another or whatever is happening behind the scenes from like a relationship standpoint, but it could have been an interesting approach to at least launch Facebook in a more focused way Oh yeah, to have eight or 10 publishers in these verticals, similar to how discover on Snapchat was done so that it's not overwhelming so that they could actually put effort behind marketing. Yeah. Whereas now you have hundreds of brands on so there much. and it's just like, where do you even start at this point? They've yeah. already rolled it out. How do you now pick and choose who you choose to support from a marketing yeah. standpoint as yeah. a platform? Yeah. I mean, they might be saying to the individual publishers, like we'll help you do a little bit of marketing, but it's on you to market it. Who knows? I think that's a really that's a really good example on Discover because even Discover now is is overwhelming. It is. They've added a lot more. Yeah, but I remember the original eight or nine or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. How simple that was. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. It, it was, was really experience. nice. Yeah. yeah. That's something for everyone. Yeah. Some major passion point that you could find content about from a major public publication or publisher. Um, the other so thing that we we were talking about too is yeah. that. I was confused if uh, the Facebook watch was lean back or lean forward. Do I, do I want to sit here for 20, 30 minutes or am I in for one minute? You know, it's so true because they have short form and longish form. Mm -hmm. Which is confusing. And, is. Their, and their people are, are labeling it as like an episodic experience when it's a YouTube video that's two minutes. You're like, that's not an episode. It sort of goes back to your, your comment earlier um, in this podcast where you're saying when a product has too many features, it becomes sort of unfocused. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Maybe Facebook is trying to be all things to all people with watch and therefore it's not doing a great job at any one thing. Whereas Snapchat for discover at the time was very focused on like, it was like one set of maybe five stories a day or eight stories a day. Mm -hmm. Each video segment was maybe 10 seconds and it was eight or nine publishers. And right. That was it. Yeah. But to echo that too, because I have seen some people say Facebook watch is similar to YouTube, or they yeah. might be like YouTube. At the same time though, they I have also seen people say that it is more of an episodic focus, but then when you, to Blake's point, look at the content, there is non-episodic videos yeah. on Facebook Watch. So it's like, I, I don't, I think it's confusing as a user and as a viewer to be half something and half not. Because totally. on the YouTube front, from a search perspective, it's very difficult to search for something and find a specific video on Facebook. Whereas on YouTube, it's it's much more optimized for that experience. So I think 
from both realms, it's kind of muddled a little bit. And I think they're trying to yeah. play in both places and not doing either very clearly or focused. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to navigate. So we will see. 20, 2019 Emmy, Facebook watch. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think that there was some sort of Emmy related to Snapchat this past year for some short form, something or other. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. You know, I think it was like the Today Show or something did something on Snapchat and it got an Emmy nom for best live show or something mm. or special show. One of those creative Emmys. Yeah. Well, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Handmaid's Tale, was that, was that, did that deserve it? Oh, I haven't watched it. Oh, I did watch it. I thought it was good. I think the takeaway, and um, I, I sort of saw this observation in a number of third party pieces and came to agree with it, which is what Handmaid's Tale did well, which was hit on the zeitgeist of the moment. And I think part of that was luck because I think it was probably in production before the current president was elected and probably planned way before that. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed to strike a nerve in a way that the other shows did not. And I think because it struck that sort of dystopian future, oh my God, what's happening to the world for a certain group of people in America feeling that way, that it just struck a nerve. And, you know, the TV Academy and Hollywood tend to be left-leaning and probably worked for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Hulu. I think they, uh, yeah. I think they deserve it. Well, they've got a new, they've got a new one coming. And I think uh, I just read right when we were coming in here that Sean Penn's going to be the star. Interesting. And in a, in a, in a show by the guy who helped create House of Cards for Netflix on Hulu now. Hmm. So that will I'm be I'm actually not a Hulu subscriber. So do you watch the ads? I don't use Hulu oh, at, you don't use at, it at all, all because of the ads. And I just, yeah, I never kind of felt the push to subscribe to them. I think yeah. particularly because pre Handmaid's Tale from original standpoint, they were, it wasn't very compelling to me as a viewer, what yeah. they were offering. And I just, there wasn't really anything else on the platform. To be honest, I felt I was missing by not subscribing. So I guess it'll be interesting to see if at what point I become a subscriber or not right now, I'm still I, I don't feel the need. Like just Handmaid's Tale alone isn't enough no. for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see though. Yeah. Well, for, for me, the reason why is because I don't have cable. So I miss things like syndicated shows like Friends or Seinfeld or whatever syndicated that's just running in the background, like my version of your E. So because I don't have that, Hulu does that. They have like right. every Seinfeld episode. And yeah. you can just like, you can just play it and it's in the background. So it's like my version of cable almost. And Makes it has, sense. my version has ads. Yeah. So I even have the ads. Right. I don't, I haven't, I should just upgrade to the ads free. <laughs> but then I would never see ads. Oh, sorry. Never see ads. So might as well watch the ads. <laughs> yeah. You got to check out the ads. You got to know what's going on yeah, out there. Yeah. We got to try. Yeah. Have you guys seen the, um, since we're on the topic of yeah. Netflix here? The uh, their new movie release, which one with uh, the Noah Bombach comedy with Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller. Oh. <laughs> I I heard I saw some headline about it. Do tell, please. The, the Mayorowitz <laughs> stories. It looks looks funny. It's it looks really great. And it's an awesome cast. They have Dustin Hoffman in there, but it's their it's yeah. their chance of going back into theaters on the same release. Really oh my God, that is such a crazy topic. And I cannot believe, I mean, it's such a, such a crazy topic. We could talk for hours about the whole day and date strategy and working with theater, theater yeah. owners and, and the window between release versus streaming for, you know, it, it, and then with, even within streaming, there's like iTunes versus Netflix, yeah. and all these different ways and then DVD and, and 
Netflix has always been like, we want, we want them to be the same time. And Amazon has been more willing to work from what I've read with theater go or theater owners and be like, okay, we'll do, we'll do a window, which is what they did with Manchester by the sea. And, um, so this movie you're saying is going to be in theaters before streaming or at the same time, same day, same day. So this will be really fascinating. I cannot believe they got that going. That's awesome. No, I'm excited. Uh, apparently he's a really, Adam Sandler is a really big poll for, um, for subscribers. Like it, it performs well for them. As much of a joke he is to a lot of people, but, well, yeah, but I, I, think, I actually like him. I, I think, think he's, he's funny. funny. Yeah, he's really funny. no, and he he has like a six movie deal or something. Millennials, yeah. millennials hate him. He used to use. Oh, like, they do. Yeah, I don't hate him. I'm indifferent. Is that worse? Yes. I don't know. Yeah, it's indifferent. I have no bad. reaction to him anymore. <laughs> I think Shay I'd rather right. have you hate me than not even <laughs> care about me. Yeah, just no emotional response whatsoever. <laughs> if Shay were here, she'd be like, "Indifference is the worst." Yeah, that's what she would say. It's uh, true. What up, Shayla? <laughs> Miss you, girl. Um, no, but I'm really excited. Noah Vama, he's like, you know, he's, he has an artful lens, and yeah. it'll be it'll be a good a good movie for sure. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah. And then that's off the heels of all the Netflix is a joke campaign launching Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Seinfeld, even though I always thought a show was better than a stand-up, but. Seinfeld, the show is great. The coffee and cars with comedians is kind of. Oh, it depends on who random. Gets. Yeah, I know well, there's some good ones. There's some like, you there's, could, there's some good ones. There's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> you can totally tell when there's chemistry yes. versus when there's not. Yes. And so like, I applaud him for doing like 17 minute episodes, like really clever the idea is clever and there's some really good ones and then there's like somewhere like he did one with gary shandling which was great he did one with jim carrey which was great and i, I don't remember some of the bad ones but they were just like oh my god is this over yet <laughs> there's no chemistry here but i mean when that when that broke all the all the headlines are like oh this is crackle's biggest flagship show and yeah. i'm like crackle's not really even on the radar of all these i forgot about it no yeah. but that was that was the show that even put them as a blip on the radar for yeah. sure so yeah. that must be a huge blow for them well they're so far down on my apple tv now in yeah. terms of scrolling that I actually forgot about them for a long time and then it came up in some other conversation about streaming. So I went back to check out, there's like a season nine of Comedians in Cars and I watched yeah. a couple of them. And It'd be a I, funny uh, thing to post on the podcast is what, what's below the fold on your below TV. Below the fold on your TV, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what do you think's the most important? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to know that in years. I don't know if it's different for everyone else. but We'll end up staying in the same three or four apps anyway, which is probably yeah. what most people do. Yeah, mine's Netflix and HBO, that's it. Yeah, Just mine's the same two. plus Hulu and then like in the morning ABC News for some news stuff. Or like Bachelor recaps. No. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Kylie. Uh, <laughs> we're just gonna turn Kylie's mic down. Sorry, sorry, Kylie. <laughs> no, I think uh, everyone loves that show here. It's kind of it's, it's, it's not great. my cup of tea, but I'm actually jealous yeah. of not being invited to any of the viewing parties of the people that yeah. work here at Mistress. So sorry, I'm throwing that out there. If you're listening, you know it's really weird though. It's like it's fall, it's September, and this is supposed to be like new TV show debut season, but mm -hmm. it hasn't felt like that to me. You're right. You're right. Actually. You know, I haven't heard. I'm not personally aware of anything I'm super excited about that's coming up. I can't think of one show and that's not saying there's any good shows or bad shows. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the marketing is the missed buzz. to me. The yeah, buzz is no missed buzz. to me. You're right. For some reason. I didn't I even realize that. that. Yeah. yeah. Because last season, I remember, I think This Is Us started last season. I mean, 
I've, I've watched a few episodes. It's pretty good. Mm. I'm not the, really the core target, but I remember a lot of buzz around that show and the surprise that happens at the end of yeah, the first episode, the, twist, the yeah. twist, which is really interesting. And, yeah. and, uh, um, I haven't heard of many shows You're this right. season. Like the biggest thing I hear about is stranger things season two. Mm-hmm. that's coming up in October. That's it. Huh? Interesting. I think Game of Thrones coming out in the summer threw me, threw everyone, because normally it comes out in the spring. I know. That would have been interesting <laughs> if they were in the mix for the Emmys. I wonder how it would have impacted. Do you think they would have beat Handmaid's Tale? I don't know. Could they even put them in there? No, because like, they ran at a different time. They weren't eligible. Yeah, they couldn't, but I'm saying like if they could have, yeah. if they were in the mix. I think it would have to. Right? I don't know. I don't know. So did, I thought Westworld would take it. So. I, I actually, I was such a fan of Westworld. Really? I loved that <gasps> show. It's, I know it's kind of off brand for me, but yeah. <laughs> coming, coming off of my bachelor comment, but no, I, I actually thought that was really, really cool. And I do wonder if it was because it might not be as relevant with what's happening right now. Like yeah. you said about Handmaid's Tale, but, um, I loved that show and I thought it was very unique and wow. I thought the acting was great. It was yeah. a really cool concept. I was yeah. a total fan of that. Oh, interesting. I, I had trouble with it. Really? I felt I. I got a little bit got a little bit slow for me. Mm. I love the concept. I love the acting. I love the production values. I got stuck on it a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Just a little bit. Fair. We're gonna turn Todd's mic off now. <laughs> now. Now it's my turn to be silenced. <laughs> silenced in the land of kiss and tell. Um, all right, we'll be back in a minute, guys. Sit tight. This is kiss and tell. Here at Kiss and Tell, we appreciate the support from our listeners. You can learn more about us at Mr. Stud Agency, subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store, or learn more about modern media culture at medium.com front slash mistress agency. Guys, Kylie's yeah. still here. Kylie's here. Todd is so, still here. We have not been silenced, Kylie. Thank <laughs> God. Yay. <laughs> We've recovered. <laughs> so with, I mean, I can't believe the year is kind of coming to a close. We're entering Q4. Um, Crazy. And as we start planning for the next next year of Kiss and Tell, I've received a lot of comments from our listeners and friends out there who are like, oh, I wish I, I wish I could talk about this or send this in to you. If you're thinking of something to talk about, shoot us an email at kissandtell at mistress.agency and let us know what you're, what you're thinking about and what you want to talk about. Um, Kylie's big thing for 2018 is bringing back Murder, She Wrote. Um, Todd, That's also my thing, too. How did you know that? I love Angela Lansbury. We, can, we get the GoFundMe going. I need to Google who that is. Murderer, She Wrote. Hey, look, Roseanne's coming back and Will and Grace is coming back. Why not Murder, She Wrote? Oh, God. Come on. Dust it off. Dust that off. Um, but no, we love hearing from you guys, but we definitely want to hear from you more. We have a lot to talk about and thank you for listening later. Bye. See ya.